to the Inquiring Minds, the Writing and Literacy SIG podcast. My name is Tori Pennington, and I am here with Dr. Sarah DeRosa. We will be the host for today's episode. The Writing and Literacy SIG podcast aims to highlight scholarship, discuss contemporary issues, and engage in conversation with SIG members in the greater writing and literacies field. Through engaging in dialogue, we hope to ignite nationwide discussions amongst faculty and graduate students concerning topics that are timely and pertinent to the scholarship concerning the relationship between writing, literacies, and the broader field of education. Today's episode will be centered on the topic of writing literacies and joy, inspired by the work of Dr. Goldie Muhammad's latest book, Unearthing Joy, a guide to culturally and historically responsive teaching and learning. So before we begin today's discussion, we would like to ask our participants to just briefly introduce themselves, share their institutions, um, and some of their research interests. So we can begin with uh, Dr. Everett. Hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, my name is Sakina Everett and I'm an assistant professor of curriculum and instruction at the University of Connecticut. Excellent. And <laughs> I um, am a former English language arts educator across uh, middle school, high school and elementary. So thank you for inviting me. Wonderful. Dr. Velasquez-Smith. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Tiana. My pronouns are she, her, Asia. I am. I recently just defended my dissertation uh, focused on. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, Black girl literacy practices, uh, particularly in predominantly white uh, spaces, uh, and especially during ELA instructional time. I am a former kindergarten teacher. That is where my heart is. That's where it rests. Um, at some point, I will go back into that space. Right now, I am the assistant vice president for education at the Straw Museum of Play. Uh, so a lot of my work is centered around play, access to play, play equity, but then also infusing culturally sustaining pedagogies and play practices for children. Uh, thank you again for having me. Hey everybody, my name is Barrett Rosser. I'm a third year doctoral candidate at the University of Pennsylvania. And right now my research is around black girlhood, self-love and like digitally infused spaces to help them think about how to use literacy and very expansive notions to love themselves and to like take up practices. Um, I work with teachers, in inquiry communities, thinking about how to make our practices better. And I spent over a decade as a middle years and high school teacher. Excellent. And Kirsten. Hi, everyone. My name is Kirsten Burke-Smith. It's such a pleasure to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I am currently a fifth grade ELA and social studies teacher in the Western portion of New York State, but I am a doctoral student at the University of Albany, not a doctoral candidate yet, but I'm getting there. Um, I'm a former literacy specialist and instructional coach, but chose to come back to the classroom this year. Also the immediate past president of the uh, New York State Reading Association. So thank you for having me. Wonderful. We'll get started with the first question. What parts of Dr. Goldie Muhammad's work really resonates with you in your work? 
I can I can start that a little bit. So the framework that she has so graciously graciously provided us with with around cultivating joy and love and criticality and skill development. I think for me as someone that was placed into a classroom, right? Like you really don't have a whole, what do I do with all these babies? Like, how do I pull on who they are? How do I ensure that they love themselves and others? Having the framework that she's presented to us in Cultivating Genius reminded me that we can have a standard, but the standard doesn't have to tell us what to do. This It doesn't tell us how to do it either. And so having kind of the freedom to say, yes, sure, there are a set of things that these babies need to have by the time that they leave me, but my job is not to just focus on skill development, right? And being able to scaffold and cushion and provide all these in the ways that she's talking about layering, um, that was really helpful for me to kind of break out the rigidity of what typically that first year of teaching looks like in the practitioner space, but then when we're supporting pre-service educators in in um, teacher preparation programs, giving them the reminder and then the liberation to say, you, we can do these things and we can make sure that our kids have what they need, that they can come into a sense of self, um, a sense of understanding, a sense of um, being co-conspirators in uh, social justice issues in ways that get to the standard, but also support the whole child. So that's what it's done for me. And, 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 and that was kind of the first time where I was like, I needed this. I didn't know I needed this at the time, but I needed this. And since then it's, it's felt really good to be in the uh, practitioner space because of it. Well, since I'm in Philly, I have to say, I was very, very pleased to see the start of Cultivating Genius and then mention again in Unearth Enjoying the role of Black literary societies, Black female literary societies, and what my ancestors were already doing to be mm -hmm. and great and live their best lives. I think that as a teacher, I came in under the teach like a champion, very rigid, very skilled. There was a book for us, the pathway for each thing that you wanted to do in the classroom. And it felt very, you mentioned freedom. It felt very oppressive. And I feel like the framework gave me words and like real life examples of what I was attempting to do, some of what I hoped I was doing in the classroom during that time. Um, but really, I guess providing a stance for teachers, kind of like a, a practical, something they can dig in. And I don't know that I felt like I had some place to look to, like my, my theory, my practice was really based off of what my principal was making up. And whatever Doug Lamont <laughs> had in his book, and so I really like it because as a new teacher and even, you know, teachers who are veteran and senior teachers, really giving them a practical framework to kind of stand on, to lean on and draw from for their practice and their students. So that was great for me. Yeah, and um, I, I've realized I'm probably the only one that didn't like mention like my research interests and stuff in the introduction. And so um, I, I'm i a teacher educator um, now. Um, 
at uh, UConn. And so I actually have used cultivating genius and unearthing joy <laughs> in my teacher education courses. I use it in methods. I use it in children's lit. I use it in all of all of the courses um, because the framework is so comprehensive. Um, this focus on identity first and foremost is very intentional. Like our students need to know who they are and they need to know who their students are. And so oftentimes I find in my teacher ed, you know, spaces that like my undergraduates have not been asked who they are and how their heart is and you know, and so they they don't have the wherewithal, you know, they don't walk in the door with the wherewithal to ask their students these sorts of questions because no one had ever asked them. Um, and so I've organized, you know, various little mini projects around um, my undergraduate and master's students, like trying to figure out who they are first and foremost, and what are the things that, you know, cultivate their identity and genius and joy. Um, and then, you know, I'm like, okay, so now that you all know how this feels, can you imagine doing this for young people that you work with? And it's a lot easier to get them to be able to do that and to feel equipped once they've experienced it themselves, right? And then skill development very intentionally comes after <laughs> identity. Like we're starting with identity and then like the skill development that's what we do in school. We develop our skills. Like you need to know how to do some things uh, by the time you leave, but we can't only focus on skills. We must <laughs> also develop our intellect and develop our criticality. And if we're not infusing joy throughout, then folks are going to forget everything they've done anyway. And it's just going to be a traumatic, horrible space. So, um, the, the comprehensive nature of the work really has um, just been vital in my work as a teacher educator. And one more thing that I'll add is that these days um, I've made a bit of a professional pivot because typically um, my research has um, focused on the literacy development of Black boys. Um, but recently, um, I've, I've started doing research on grief among Black women educators. And so um, I'm actually in the middle of a major, well, now international study on grief um, among Black women educators. And so having this, you know, kind of joyful work really helps me to kind of balance out in both a personal and professional realm, like, you know, using joy as the anchor to access identity, skills, criticality, and intellect. I love that. There's so much good stuff there. Um, I, I just wanted to say what I've heard so far. Tiana used the words co-conspirators and Barrett was talking about taking a stance and Sakina was talking about um, building, using identity and building relationship skills to then anchor joy in the, the skill building. And I can't tell you how much that resonates with me. Um, I do adjunct a class at Buffalo State University and we always start with celebrations. That's the way we start our class every time 
everyone gets a voice. Everyone has to, you know, is allowed to share something and it, it helps conjure up some positive feelings to begin our work together. And I feel like it, it's always beneficial. And anytime that I have not done that or not started with that for the sake of time or what have you, it, it is a different vibe that carries throughout our work together. So I, it, all of this resonates with me as well. Um, and and I didn't mention my research interest probably because I'm the furthest back in the pipeline um, towards <laughs> the doctoral work, but um, I want to work on using identity in those writing spaces, um, particularly for students who don't excel or are motivated by school standard-based writing practices. And Goldie talks about this. She talks about um, how there it there's a limiting focus on skills. And we only think sometimes of how school wants us to teach writing. And there's all this beautiful writing going on outside of school that we can pull in and we can use to ignite kids. And I feel like that's so important. And that's one of the reasons why I love this work so much. Um, it also reminds me of Sarah Ahmed's work around identity. Um, and that is a big big piece and, and it really like aligns really nicely with Goldie's work too. So um, I, I love getting kids to write and getting kids to express themselves, especially if it's something they bring in from outside that they were working on. Um, I just wanted to add too that like this positioning that um, Goldie has in her work around like moving beyond standards and really thinking about learning pursuits. Um, that's foundational. Um, and in my like ideal like classroom, you know, folks would read and write across, you know, all kinds of disciplines and, you know, it's interdisciplinary and, you know, just so, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me excited about um, not only reading, but like writing and like, you know, having the agency to like develop their own stories because they see learning as a pursuit. Um, you can always hit a standard, but that's like the baseline. That's, that's just, that's basic. I mean, and Goldie talks about like, you know, folks out here being basic. Um, and so when you think about learning as a pursuit, then you bring in all this multimodality. We're bringing in videos, we're bringing in poetry, we're bringing in artwork, we're bringing in textiles, we're bringing in music. I mean, for crying out loud, she has a playlist in every chapter, like genius, right? And you get to listen to that while you're soaking in all this like intellect. And I mean, how could you not experience joy? Like you have to really I don't know how you do that. You can't. <laughs> so I think that the music is time to the reading. It's like it what is. going on? And then the song was changing right when the, the new subheading. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? But to that point, I really, really love, I really love um from Unearthing Joy, the part about creating spaces for joy and genius. When and she says that she just asks her students to like to like write about and lesson plan about what's in front of them, and I yes. think that's so beautiful. We actually did that the other day in, <laughs> in my methods class. 
I think that's so beautiful because I've been trying, I've been writing, I'm in data collection. There's a lot going on. I, this, is, this is a great time. So I try, try to be inspired by like, I try to be present enough to be available to the things around me, to the things people say, to the conversations I heard that might spark some imagination and get my gears going around something. So it was really affirming to see that something so genius, like it was like, yes, Barrett, like keep going with those small, subtle, serendipitous moments because it is that coffee cup right in front of you. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, what I used to imagine it to be. It can be the magic in front of me in life. So I really, really love that. And I think it's important to give ourselves agency to stop and plug back into the joy too, when things feel like they're off track. You know, we, think, it, oh, I'm so sorry. Tiana, go ahead. <laughs> I want you to finish your thought. Oh, I was just going to share what I shared before we um, came on together that my students had a really rough last two weeks. We had a school fire. Then we had a, a swatting incident following the Nashville shooting and so it was really important before we left for spring break to stop everything and stop what we were doing and cultivate joy. And we had to, it, it was, there was, there was nothing left of us. We couldn't get to the learning and we did. And it was so beautiful. And it was so, it, my heart was so full by the end of the day, it was, and that's so important to get to the learning too, to how can we ever expect children to open up their minds and hearts if if we don't invite them to go ahead Tia. <laughs> and as i was reading cultivating genius i was also reading all about love so i don't know them two books together like it did something for my heart and spirit and so it required me to ask these questions like do we really love our children if we are having conversations about a standard you don't love anybody if you have them to a standard or there's a ceiling and so in what Bell Hooks is telling us and that it's an action, it's a thing that you can feel, touch, it's it's measurable, um, it's undeniable. When you feel it, you know it, and it, 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 it's true because it is. That's what it felt like in rectifying, going back to the point about standards versus pursuits. It felt really good. And I think that's what happened to me. And um, my advisor always reminds me that we don't come to our dissertation work by accident. So we're here by, des by design because of our lived experiences. But it required me to go back into my own bodily memory and be like, damn, them people do not love me. Like they did not care about me because they never asked, who are you? What do you need? How are you showing up to this space? How are you masking? And so... I'm just thinking about that moment as I was turning the pages of Dr. Muhammad's work and our beloved Bell Hooks in that we then have to have a deeper conversation about do we love these children? And the short answer to that is no, period. We don't love our children because we don't have gun laws that protect them. We don't love our children because we're not paying teachers what they're worth. Um, we don't love our children because we don't value the work of Black women um, that are doing a lot of this labor. And so... I'm just, these emotions are just coming back up to me right now. And I'm, there's not a point to be made other than it just requires us to ask, do we love our children? And if we, and if the answer is no, we don't love our children, then what, what are you doing? 
Um, and if it's not picking up this book, or I'm so happy you brought up Sarah Ahmed, love her work as well. Um, it feels kind of like what Langston Hughes asked us in that what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Which also then pulls on Dr. Bettina Love's work on the audacity to dream and to believe that you can have all the things that you want because you're human and you matter. Um, this, this work has been the framework to, when I wake up every day and I say, do I love the kids that I work with? The answer is yes. Do I love the priests? Do I love the educators that I'm working with? Yes, because I'm making sure that when they're coming in the classroom, the first question is, how is your heart? And if your heart is messed up and is jacked up, then that lesson plan that I have for the day, we can bump that and we can hold space for what it is that we're working through. And most times as a community, we're working through the same emotions and processing this world that we live on, on this hot rock. <laughs> I love Bettina, love Tiana. And I just read something the other day and what you just said reminded me of taking care of teachers too. We all, there's all this in the zeitgeist about teacher burnout and teacher burnout on self-care. What's your why? But is it, are you being authentic? Are you being for real? Do you really care about how teachers are? And Bettina Love, yeah. I just read a piece by her on, we can't expect more teachers of color until we take care of the ones that we have now. And was why are we not... In, you know, cultivating those people in our midst to want to stay. Like, why are we reaching out? Beautiful work. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for all of this. Um, <laughs> I'm here woo -woo, in the background. <laughs> so this, I am here for every bit of it. Um, I also wanted to... Um, you know, just add that, like, I love the way, like, Goldie reminds us that the world is our curriculum. And, you know, just thinking about the beauty in the world um, and the beauty in humanity um, and in nature. Yes, Barrett. <laughs> um, and so in that regard, it makes, um, it makes our work accessible. Um, in, in chapter like five, I believe that it, chapter four, um, she talks about like redefining teacher as artist and curriculum as artistry. And like Goldie really believes that, like she like lives that, like when she's designing curriculum, like she is like in the mist and just like really, you know, the way folks get hype about like writing songs and music, like that's how she gets hype about writing curriculum. And and, and that just comes through, right, in the, in the book. Um, and so when I had my students to read this chapter, they were just really blown away. Like, huh, I guess I never really thought about like developing curriculum for my students as like artistry, but I guess it is if we're doing this and pulling in all these different things. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> and, um, and you know, like uh, Kirsten, I, I start every single class. Y'all can come up here to UConn and ask them to fact check. Every single class, we start with moments of joy. And so they are required <laughs> to share. And I know required sounds bad, but like um, they are, <laughs> they are required to like, share something joyful 
um, at the start of class. And sometimes we voice those out loud and more often than not, um, we write them down on sticky notes and put them on the back wall. Um, and yes, they're undergrads and master's students, but I need them to get out their seats. I need them to fill this. Um, and they are required to like read at least two or three other joyful moments. And I like collect these sticky notes. And so like I, once I gather all the sticky notes at the end of class, I like put a date on them. And, you know, at the end of the semester, I'm just going to like put them all up on the wall so we can just see. And they may or may not remember the things they wrote from day one to day 16, because, you know, how semesters work. But like, there's just so much joy and I want them to be able to like write it down and see it and to hear it because our world is very complicated. And there was a lot of reasons to be sad, depressed and anxious. And, you know, you know, as Tiana was saying, like, you know, we feel the community impact of the foolishness that is going on in our world. And so I really think it's important for them to document the joyful moments and for us to like see that. And um, I remember the one day I was running late <laughs> and I forgot to talk to to have our joyful moments at the beginning of class. And best believe one of my undergrad students was like, um, Dr. E, Dr. E, we didn't do our joyful moments. And I had something I wanted to share with the class today because I was just ready. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, please, by all means, you know, share. And, you know, she was sharing, you know, something that her father had shared with her because she talks to her father about, what she's doing in her undergrad class. Like, that's what you know is good when they talking to their parents about it. <laughs> and so she had, um, you know, an education article that her father shared with her and she wanted to share that as her joyful moment um, with the class. And I was just like, yes, yes. So <laughs> it's, it's really about like embodying it as a, as a practice. I talk about like how we need to practice joy and so, um, yeah, I, I'm just reminded of all all the comprehensive, just like I necessary. Was, I was that depressed teacher. Um, I was 20. I came right out of teaching, right out of A&T. And I was, didn't know myself, Black young woman in the world. And it was really hard for me, like not just not knowing figuring out how to teach, but just life in general. Like I never had any class about joy. Never, like I had mental health challenges. I've lost so many students to gun violence. Like it's just, it's a very, it was a very tough place for me to be spiritually and mentally. And so I was kind of like, the book came out in 2020, just when I left the classroom. And I was like, dang, like something like this could have sustained me a little bit more. I love that she talked about Dr. Cynthia Dillard and that work. And I got to read her book, um, um, Black Women, the Sacred Work That We Do and Teaching. And like just to read and hear these scholars speak and write in ways that like give me language to emotions that I felt years ago that my students was probably helping me with while we was te learning, teaching, trying to just be together. It's so affirming. It's just so affirming. And I hope that I'm so glad that you do that with your students. I wish I was in your class. Okay. Because 
could have got a couple more years out of here. <laughs> but I love that you do that. And I'm going to steal all the ideas once I get ready. I'm sharing them to be stolen. Like this, you can't keep joy to yourself. Like it, it's impossible to keep joy to yourself. You can't even, you can't do it. You got to share. <laughs> this conversation has just been so impactful as far as just like kind of exuding like just the joy and just like we all are feeling the energy. And if all of you listeners could even just see what's going on in the chat box right now, you would understand. Um, one of the components that Goldie uh, emphasizes in her work are some of the pursuits of how to be able to include joy, but then also with the goal uh, towards social justice. And so um, what we would love to hear from our participants is how do you all see researchers, practitioners, educators to move beyond some of the contributions or the additive aspects of, you know, joy or social justice and really moving into social action? Well, I think one of the best ways to do that is, of course, to incorporate multimodal literacy experiences for students to do that. Like, we're not going to get students to use the same medium, to communicate the same outcome. When I was using Dr. Muhammad's work to inform my own teaching, having students create work in ways that were boundless. And so that requires us to also deconstruct white supremacy in the ways that academia tells us that something is worth something, that the product has value, and that they have come out somehow um, closer to the adherence to white normalized conceptions of intellect, right? Like bump that. And so instead, my task to the students was using any form of art. So I brought in different art materials. I want you to communicate something that's itching at your spirit, something that you need to communicate and talk about and just providing that singular practice um, because then we built upon that. They ended up creating these very rich and fruitful, um, I can't even, I can't even like put the name to it because there were so many different products. And so there were students that were creating um, watercolor paintings about their lives um, back in rural China and explaining all of the things that they're going through back at home. Um, a lot of the students ended up picking up um, crepas and um, other materials and creating uh, protesting signs for um, black, protect black children. There was an incident that happened in Rochester and so they wanted to put voice into something. And so then what ended up happening was we all do this in the campus quad. And so it's a public setting. And so other folks are walking around. They're like, this a class? What, what y'all doing here? And so it's a nice, it was a nice way to have the students have an authentic audience, which is what Dr. Muhammad has been telling us that is also important in the work, having students to know that their work is so important that there needs to be an audience that, that consumes it and that appreciates it. I that is that work was not supplemental it was not an add-on it was not something that i decided to do at the end of the semester because it just needed to get done it was integral to the process of them building these mini units around a set of standards that they selected while also cultivating intellectualism criticality um joy love all of the things right 
it, it, it truly, it has for, it has to be a switch that the educator makes in, in their brain. It has to be a removing of whiteness, um, white teaching practices to say, as we touched on before, black literary societies were doing rich, um, thoughtful um, work in ways that were secretive in hush harbor spaces. And so there's, um, Christopher, Dr. Christopher Emden talks about the neurological pathways that change for populations of children that are working within complex environments. We have to do that work, but that requires us to do a lot of decolonization and a lot of um, work on the practitioner and to then say, I have this beautiful painting now that a student has created. How do I, how do I give them a grade? How, how do I put some merit to this? And the short answer is you you don't. You give them feedback, you remind them of their genius, you highlight the points of the work that spoke to you, you ask them um, extension questions, and then you give them feedback. But all of that that I just explained requires a mental shift from what schools tell us are good, what academia tells academicians is good, and it's also a shift for the students that are used to having the thing, the this is what needs to get done and this is how it needs to get done. So it's not just implementing this beautiful work and this beautiful framework. Dr. Muhammad does a beautiful job of that, but it also is a, a, a cognitive switch that requires us to have some critical consciousness around what's, what's, what surrounds the work. I hope that made some sense because <laughs> it, it really is an artistry. The artist can't always explain their artistic processes. And so you have to be, be willing to, to, to do it. I, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of teachers need more self-reflection in that. And I think some of them honestly don't know how to begin with the work too, or they don't feel like the work is, is there for them to do. They it's bravery that they, you know, really need to like conjure up within themselves to be able to do this and look at their, let's look at our curriculum. Let's look at our materials. Let's look at the experiences we've had with teaching these materials. Are, are we still propagating systems of oppression and stereotypes and limiting our children? And, you know, I love what you said about just opening the door to finding ways to express ways of knowing and ways of being. And it's, it's so important that we rethink the way that maybe we've been taught how to teach. Um, so our kids can benefit from that and be able to learn and grow and see themselves in any way they want to see themselves. Like that we need to open up the possibilities for every single child and Goldie talks about this, that this doesn't pertain to just one demographic of children. This helps all children in every demographic, in every space. It's It encourages beauty and aesthetic inside yourself. And it's it's so, it's so potent. It's just palpable. Um, yeah, I think that we really need to look at what we're teaching and how we're teaching it and be far more reflective um, we have, have all mentioned here other things that we've read that inspire us along with, 
Um, and for my class, I've been reading Benson and Fearman's Unconscious Bias in Schools. And that is a huge text about opening your awareness. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, you know, I, especially, and in, in I don't purport to represent anyone other than myself here, but as a white educator, sometimes you feel like I, I, I want to do this work. How do, where do I start? How do I start? And it's through confronting your own experiences, your own thinking, your own point of views, the media you consume, everything. It's, it's so, it, it's, it's so important to just begin at the granular level, I think, and look at one. All of that is labor. And yes, yes, Yes. that's all labor and labor that white people should not expect other people to do on their behalf. Absolutely. (laughs) And they write about that. And there's so much labor being put on others to do that work for them or to show them how to do it. And we need to get more people on board with, looking at your own self and looking at the world and how do you want to be a part of this world and move it forward? Or are you holding it back, right? By either, even just the implicit things that we do every day. Yeah. And to that point, I like one of the beautiful things, I mean, there's so many beautiful things about, I like, I just, I love this. Like my book is all like all written up, highlighted, like, I mean, every page I'm taking notes in the margins like this. This is my like little baby right here. Um, it's, it's just all annotated uh, page book chapter beginning to end um, is what I meant to say. Um, but to your point, um, there are literally thousands of questions in each chapter. And she starts each chapter with like 10 to 20 questions. So that's like how folks can, yes, I do the coloring pages as well, Tori, just to be clear. (laughs) Um, And so um, there are literally thousands of questions. There are questions at the front of each chapter. Every paragraph has questions. So this notion of like, how how do I begin to do this work? It's right there. when you when you are confronted with all of these questions, you have no choice but to do the work that you know Dr. Yolandi Silly Ruiz describes, which is this archaeology of the self work. Um, and all these questions, you know, really, my students, most of them are white, just you know, because I'm at UConn and it's a predominantly white institution, right? And so, but most of them after every single chapter, they're like, yo, Dr. E, like, I've never been asked these questions before. And these questions are penetrating me and forcing me to think outside the box and to think about, wow, you know, my entire K-12 experience, some parts were, you know, really jacked because (laughs) I did not, like, I just never thought of these things before. And so, you know, I just wanted to underscore your point that like this is, while this model was designed by and is informed by Black folks and Black genius and Black excellence, everybody (laughs) benefits from, from the intellectual labor and the physical labor, let's just be honest, you know. Um, that went into, you know, this work, you know, from the hush harbors until where we are right now. Um, 
And I, I just also wanted to mention too, another idea to be stolen um, <laughs> that I have my students do this like education narrative project. Um, and I intentionally do it in the middle of the semester after we've had some time to like really dig into these chapters and we journal every day. Um, and this education graph project, um, I I have them to think about like, who were you, like, what was your education prior to coming to college? Where are you right now? And like, what type of educator do you want to be? Um, and so it's a past, present and future. And so they, this notion of graph is wide, widely interpreted. Um, but they have to use multimodality to express this thing. And so we also have a gallery walk in class. So the class before spring break, um, everybody has to, you know, bring whatever it is. And I was like, I don't care if you make a YouTube video, if you build a structure, if you sew something, if you, you know, one student brought in a ballet shoe to kind of think about like her trajectory through education. Like I had students like build houses. I mean, all kinds of things come up, right? And then we have a gallery walk and everybody gets to see like, how does, yes, artifacts, <laughs> how, how can you use a metaphor to, um, manifest your education past, present, and future um, is what the assignment does. And so um, they they were really blown away at the different ways that they could, you know, manifest um, this kind of metaphor of their education. And I started the question from the book, like, how are you genius? How do you manifest your genius? And and they just wrote, went from there. Um, and they were just blown away by seeing all the different ways that people, you know, manifested their educational experiences. I was yes, please take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so um, inspired by the things that y'all shared, um, and it really I'm always like captivated by teachers who are doing great work because I miss the classroom and school so much, and is the Philadelphia Writing Project Scholar here at Penn, I get to facilitate the Invitational Summer Institute where teachers through the National Writing Project come and we have a summer two weeks to really think about our practice. And we spent time last summer at Independence National Historical Park and the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Cultivated Ooh. Genius was our primary text, our anchor text. And that's why I really love it as a stance in that way, because the teachers, they were K-12, all different subject areas, okay? So the way that we use the text, we got into Independence National Park, the place where the Liberty Bell is in the house where we were actually like, um, enslaved folks probably built this space. And given the stories that we were so intrigued by because of So Philly, with the book, So Philly, that was all, all <laughs> it was like, the stories that we were getting at the African-American Museum down the street was different than the stories we were getting at oh, yes. Park. But oh, thousands yes. and thousands of people run through this thing every single day. And so the teachers, to speak to social action, talked to the park rangers and initiated mm -hmm. conversation with them that started conversation with African-American Museum in Philadelphia. So now they were able to collaborate like such an impact 
to everybody in the country who's going to come here to see Philly and what stories, whose stories being told, why are they being yes. told, in which yes. ways are they being told, and even the space we were in, it was like wild. And I was just sitting there, you know, facilitator, good facilitator, teacher, everybody else do all the great thinking work, sharing. And like witnessing their genius and they were so passionate about it. So I wish I could say all their names. They're amazing teachers, but shout out to us and them and really inspired by a lot of the work we were doing from um, Dr. Goli Muhammad's text. Mm. And that is the work. That is the social action work. Like being in that park, asking the Rangers, what's up? Like, according right. to, uh, <laughs> like, on page 35, Mr. Ranger. There were some groups Mr. here and something, something, and it's 16. We know because down the street, and yeah, all that. And it was great. It, they were welcoming. It was awesome conversation. Great partnerships here. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've been sitting over here just nodding my head. It's probably going to fall off when we get off this. <laughs> Everything has been so powerful. Um, so thank you all for coming and sharing with us. Um, kind of to close out, we've heard about um, ways that we are cultivating joy in classrooms through joyful moment sticky notes and watercolor paintings, self-reflections, talking about what's in front of us right now. Um, and that, that work of reflecting and starting with yourself. Um, but we want to know what songs are on your playlist right now for unearthing your own joy. I'll go first. I have been listening to Higher Love by uh, Kygo and Whitney Houston. So that's my song. Y'all take it away. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. I don't want to hear what your song about to be. What you have to say? There's so many. Like I'm just like, which one? There's so many. I had to reel myself in too, Tiana, because my list was getting ridiculous. <laughs> it was getting ridiculous. But it was a great question because I felt awesome listening to all this great music while I was trying to come up with these. <laughs> I will say I'm really been feeling um I'm I've been beating this Renaissance record to death, y'all. Like Beyonce gave us something we didn't know we needed. Um I I just it's the whole record for me. Period. Period, period. I can't pick a song. I can't. I kept reaching back to older stuff. Um, and this might be dating me, but uh my mom and my sisters and I went to Earth, Wind and Fire last several tours and it's an intergenerational experience there's kids there there's you know older folks there there's it's in it's every color every age every person and I that's always at the top of my list is September like put that song on I'm not staying in my seat I'm sorry like it just kind of that track. <laughs> yeah try try to keep me in my seat but yeah like I Mary Mary get up that song can't keep me down that there's no way to listen to that on low you got to crank it up and um even queen and stevie wonders sir duke like that's all about just loving music and it's like universal universally happy like i don't know how you can how you can move away from that and not be happy um so <laughs> like don't stop me now by queen and um i had some 
Coldplay songs in there, Skyfall of Stars, Viva La Vida that's written from like the point of view of King Louis the 16th and the French Revolution. Like he's still in denial and these people are coming at you. Like, so it's just all that stuff. You leave, you leave those songs feeling like you're radiating higher. I love that. <laughs> I'm so hyped by Kristen's Kirsten's um list. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm with her on this. I probably spent way too much time thinking about this, Sakita. <laughs> <laughs> but it was bringing me close. I kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I really, I'm the type of person that listens to the same song over and over again for like years. Like you still listening to Green Eyes by Erica Badu still. Yes, I am on repeat and I'm going to still cry because I feel like it. But I really, really like Fela Kuti, Water, No Get Enemy. Like it's very... My ancestors just say, get up and dance. Like, I cannot, it's just something about that music that makes me feel so, so good. And then I was going to say, Megan the Stallion, it's just my workout bestie. Like, I can do anything on the Peloton with her in my ears. (laughs) Which one, if you had just one? I see. I just put said the artist because I didn't know if I could say the name of the song on here. So I'll put it in the chat. But okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably those are probably and I really like the internet. The internet is a group. I'm very like neo soul, jazzy type of vibe. So yeah. Yeah, I for me, like the chapter five playlist really just brought it all in for me. Um, the get up, stand up, freedom, everybody loves the sunshine. <laughs> and we can say those on the uh, podcast. <laughs> everybody loves the sunshine. Dun, dun. <laughs> We can also put a disclaimer of, you know, this is for adult listening ears. Uh, so everyone knows. Uh, oh, this advisory. is so fun. <laughs> yes. Corey and I had so much fun coming up with this question because um, for me, like I've been working on my dissertation. I just defended. And so like I've needed music yes thank you i've needed music really... go by without celebration <laughs> <laughs> but it's really music was one of those things that were like i needed this to get me in the zone but i needed to be joyful i needed to get this done i'll be honest like i remember my mom would always listen to abba uh whenever we were doing something like cleaning or organizing or just having fun like cooking and so like for me, anything that like had that Mama Mia, the dancing queen kind of beat, I was like, yes, I am bringing brought back to it. But just hearing all of your suggestions, I literally been writing down like, okay, I need to add this to my Spotify. So then that way I can add more music to. Well, I mean, in the you can just use the QR code in the um in the book and oh, the yes. playlist comes up on Spotify. Oh, I mean your playlist. Oh, okay. The podcast <laughs> playlist. I need to add it to 
to my Spotify, all the things, all the things. Um, I'm so thankful and grateful for this amazing dynamic group of uh, amazing scholars uh, throughout all different parts of their academic pursuits. And I just want to thank so much our participants for today uh, for sharing their uh, experiences, their viewpoints, and then also like just being really honest about what they are hoping for uh, in education. And we need more amazing educators and teacher educators and researchers and scholars like these amazing women. So I'm just so proud that you all were able to be a part of our uh, time together. Um, and little shout out, we are actually going to be having Dr. Goldie Mohammed come to the Writing and Literacy SIG uh, business meeting at the annual meeting. So if you will be at AERA, uh, please join us um, for the Writing and Literacy SIG uh, podcast. Uh, sorry, it's the business meeting, but business the podcast meeting, will yes. be there too. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And shout out to you and Tori for like organizing this. Like this is good energy. This is, so you all were in behind the scenes curating this, you know, like you all need the shout out for this. This was fun. <laughs> we can keep the conversation. I want to have like the part two, right? Of part two behind the scenes. Like this is what I'll we're tell doing. You all my favorite songs on the part two. <laughs> yes. And jam out. <laughs>